Welcome to All About Books on NET Radio. I'm your host, Pat Leach, Director of Lincoln City Libraries. Today I'm delighted to welcome Chris Helzer as my guest. Chris is the Nature Conservancy's Director of Science in Nebraska. His main role is to evaluate and capture lessons from the Conservancy's land management and restoration work and share those lessons with other land managers. He's also the author of the book, Hidden Prairie, Photographing Life in One Square Meter. And I'd like to note that he lives in Aurora, Nebraska, which is my hometown. Chris, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, tell me how this book, Hidden Prairie, came to be. Prairies are one of those ecosystems that I think people tend to overlook. I was thinking about this the other day, actually, unrelated to uh, coming on this show, but I was thinking that in some ways prairies are that book on your bookshelf that is a really plain jacketed book kind of squeezed between a bunch of flashy covers, and it's never going to get made into a movie, um, but it's got, you know, some real classic poetry or something like that that I think people have a hard time making the initial uh, leap into it, but once you get into it, you buy in and you just you can't imagine, you know, living without it. Sure. And I, I think one of the struggles for, for me as an, as an advocate for prairies is just to get people to pay attention to them because it seems like they're these big, boring, flat areas full of grass. On my blog, I'm kind of like a preacher where I have the same message, but I'm always looking for new ways to talk about it. And Uh the Square Meter Project was an idea that I had that, you know, if I just pick one little place, I know that there's a lot of diversity that I'll see, but I don't think other people would would necessarily pick up on that. And so it was a new way for me to kind of highlight the diversity of life that lives in prairies. As I uh, looked at the book, it's it's a fairly small book. Full of photographs, though, of of what you saw on that piece of prairie. How often did you go out to photograph your your plot there? It increased as the year went on because I started to buy into my own project more. Ah, when I when I started out, I, I didn't I don't know I didn't have a full picture of what I really was going to be doing, and so between January and May, I went out a couple of times, and there were a couple of mornings where there was some frost on the ground. I thought, well, it would be nice to go out and capture that. And now I kind of wish I had gone more, because what happened is as the season went on, I started to realize that the longer I stayed, the more I saw. And there were times where I would I would sit there and I wouldn't see anything, but if I stared just for one more minute, I'd either you know find an insect moving around that I hadn't noticed before, or even outside of just the diversity of life that I saw as, as a photographer, as an artist, it was really interesting that to, you know, sit there and look for a long time and I'd see the way the light hit something that I hadn't paid attention to before. It just, it would, it turned out to be a really new way of looking at prairies for me, even as somebody who's been doing this for a quarter century now. So I, I went out, you know, infrequently until May, I was going out maybe once a week during May, and then by the time June, July, August came, I was going out several times a week and spending as much as an hour at a time staring at this little square on the ground. As you were creating the book, of course, you had thousands of photographs from which to choose. Uh, How did you decide which ones would, would go into the book then? Well, I was trying to come up with the story of the, of the project was one thing, but then I was trying to capture 
stories that I could fit into a book chapter. And so they tended to be, you know, little vignettes about the day that I found the tree frog. And, and I wrote about how excited I was to see a tree frog and how nicely it sat for me and, you know, interesting information about tree frogs. But then there were other examples of, you know, a plant species that I thought was going to bring in a lot of pollinators like butterfly milkweed that turned out not to, and I don't know why. And so I talked about my frustration uh, with that, but then, you know, the joy of seeing the seeds burst and, and fly around. And so I was, it was more of a story-oriented book in terms of a lot of the photos. And then what we ended up doing was we filled in between the chapters with just other, other photos that I thought were standalone, you know, beautiful photos that just kind of highlighted what prairies can be. The combination of stories and then just sort of uh, scattered photos in between. So when you started out this project, Chris, did you have a book in mind? No, no, it was, I was looking for ways to uh, come up with new ideas for my blog. It was, it was very basic. I just was running out of things to say, and I thought this would give me some new ideas, and it did. And then what happened was it started to resonate with people much more than I expected, which was great. And and then it started to resonate with me more than I expected. And between the two things, I, I decided that uh, it could make a really nice book. And so I started down that path, and the book publisher was excited about it, and it's it's done really well. And then, you know, now we're looking at a museum exhibit. It's just from, from sitting around, coming up with an idea, uh, as a lark, this has turned into something much more than I expected, for sure. Well, it's interesting to me in the sense of uh, your own evolution in terms of this project and that it appealed to so many people. And going back to your original thoughts about prairie, I often describe the beauty of the prairie as very subtle. And so I think it takes a while for people's eyes to become accustomed to it so that so that we do see uh, what might not be obvious if we're accustomed to maybe more ostentatious landscapes. I don't know if that's the correct way to describe it, but how do we develop an eye for what is a lot more subtle? Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. And I think prairies, you have to slow down, I think, to appreciate prairies more than you do, say, mountains or lakes or forests where, you know, there's there's something dramatic that's mm-hmm. easy to see, and anybody could recognize it, right? Other people have used this analogy, but I think it's a good one, which is it's sort of like snorkeling or scuba diving, where you know you look across the surface of a water body and you don't see much, but then as, if you take the time and kind of sink down into it, then you start to see what's really there, mm-hmm. and you appreciate the beauty and the diversity and the dynamics. That's the other thing with prairies, is that one of the things this project really helped highlight is that it changes all the time. So you can visit the same prairie, you know, every day in a week, and every day you go, you'll see new things because there are always flowers that are starting to bloom or ending their blooming period, and there are insect species that are emerging or or falling away, and or just things that are more active on one day than the other because of the weather or other factors. And so, one of the lessons of the book, I think, for me, and I should, I, I knew this already, but it really drove it home, was that there's always going to be something new and it's always worth going out just to see what's happening on this particular day. You've described yourself, of course, as a photographer. Do you also consider yourself a writer? How did the back and forth of picture with writing work for you? Yeah, I do think I'm a writer. I I wrote a book back in 2009 on ecology and management of prairies, 
which was really my first foray into, you know, serious writing, I guess. And then right after that, I started this blog called The Prairie Ecologist. And the reason I started it was that I was so frustrated with the fact that my book had come out. And by the time it came out, it you know, there's always about a year delay between finishing your writing and, and publication. And in that year, I came up with all these ideas that I wanted to add to the book, and I couldn't. Uh. And then books are not great for, you know, stimulating discussion. And so I was looking for a way to get feedback on ideas and, and really talk things out with people. And so the blog turned into my way of doing that. And then the blog forces me to write twice a week on prairies and all these other topics. And that has been an incredibly helpful exercise for me in terms of exploring my own thoughts and ideas, but also just developing a, a better voice as a writer. I think a lot of people find that journaling is similar, so that regular practice of writing. Yeah, I mean, my blog is basically a journal that then lives on the Internet. And I actually, I, I searched my own blog to remember what it was that I thought or, or found <laughs> out or saw years ago. It's been great. I, I could picture that. It seems like the writing that is called for in blogging is pretty distinct from the writing that's called for for a book. Since you write in different formats, does one kind of writing impact another? I think I think I have a different voice as a writer when I'm blogging than I do when I'm writing books. But the two definitely inform each other. I think one of the things I've learned from, from writing a blog is that I really have to share a lot of myself and make make a lot of the writing, the stories about me and my experiences and my perspectives in order to, to connect to people and for people to feel like they're connected to me. When I go to conferences or when I meet people, it's, it's shocking to me how much they know about my life. And then I remember that <laughs> I've told them that through the blog. But then it's also, you know, I, I have a very informal voice, I think, on the blog. When I write books, there's, you're, you're forced into being a little bit formal, but I think the way the blog has influenced my writing for books and for magazines, for that matter, is that I remember that you know, being too formal makes it harder to read and, and harder to connect to me as a writer, and I, I still think I've, I've tried to translate a lot of the good parts of being a blogger into the you know, writing I do for magazines and, and stories, which I think makes me more relatable as a writer. Well, and as somebody who reads a lot of nonfiction, I, I note that what you just described is what takes a book from being pretty dry to being just a lot more interesting is as the author um, inserts himself or herself into it uh, to provide context and often to give a few almost emotional cues about, about what's being learned or described. Yeah, I agree. And even... Even if you're writing in third person, there are still ways that you can express yourself as an individual and, and, yeah, share some of your perspectives and ideas so that people feel like they're connecting to the writer rather than just reading somebody's dry text. The expression I use a lot for that, Chris, is that um, for some books that end up being too dry, I just think we need a little bit of milk with these cornflakes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I like that a lot. Well, let's turn from your writing life to your reading life. Uh, what do you choose for your own recreational reading? <laughs> uh, nothing related to science or nature. Ah. Uh, I, I like authors like Ann Perry or Robert B. Parker, Rex Stout. I, I read a lot of mysteries, um, crime novels, often, often things that have some humor into them because 
reading for me is an escape from what I spend the rest of my time doing. And so I, I don't, I, I guess I, I should be expected to read, you know, nonfiction books about nature and ecology. And I just, I feel like my work life is so full of that I need to escape. So your reading is quite different from that. Very. Has your writing impacted your reading life? I don't think so, but I definitely I definitely feel like whatever I've been reading influences the writing that I do. I have to be careful, I think. In fact, I'll, I'll find myself starting to write in the style of whoever I've been reading lately. Oh, I see. I, 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 see, I see that especially if I'm reading something like Anne Perry or... I read a lot of a lot of books from Great Britain, and I start using words that are not in the common English vernacular in America, and I have to stop myself and say, "Okay, wait a second, back off, become an American again." Uh, and yeah, so it, it's—I don't think it's a terrible thing, but it is interesting how much my my brain gets linked to whatever I'm reading. I would say, as somebody who thinks about the reading community and reading impact a lot, that's exactly what ought to be happening. So, absolutely. Good. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being my guest on All About Books today. Oh, thank you. This has been great. Chris Helzer, author of the book Hidden Prairie, Photographing Life in One Square Meter, was my guest today. Hidden Prairie was published by the University of Iowa Press in 2020. Again, Chris, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you very much. I hope our paths cross again soon. Yeah, me too. You've been listening to All About Books on NET Radio. Podcasts of this and other programs are available online when you visit netnebraska.org slash radio. For All About Books, I'm Pat Leach.